Hi, this is David Flower, Senior Pastor at Grantham Church, an intergenerational convergent third-way congregation with the Brethren in Christ U.S., and located in Mechanicsburg, Pennsylvania. I want to thank you for listening to our podcast and for following the sermons that I and many others preach at Grantham. This is a free podcast, and it'll always be that way, but if you'd like to give and help further the work we're doing for the kingdom, we'd greatly appreciate it. If you want to do that, you can do that by going to granthamchurch.org and clicking on the Giving tab. Whether you're a member of our church or you're listening as a parishioner, it's our greatest desire that you would encounter Jesus and be changed by the good news wherever you are. Anyway, God bless you, and I hope you enjoy the podcast. At this time, our kids are invited to Kids Own Worship if you want to do that, or you can remain in here, and it's a really good Sunday for it because we're talking about being an intergenerational church. Uh, let me tell you a little bit about our guest speaker today. Christina Embry is the founder and director of Refocus Ministry. She holds a master's in ministry focused on children, youth, and family ministry, and a doctoral degree in spiritual formation with a focus on age segregation and intergenerational ministry. In addition to coaching churches of multiple denominations and traditions all around the globe, Christina serves as the Minister of Generational Discipleship for the Great Lakes Conference of the Brethren in Christ and as a pastor at Plowshares Brethren in Christ in Lexington, Kentucky. I've met her husband, Luke, on uh, a couple of occasions. She's widely recognized as a speaker and author in the areas of generational discipleship, intergenerational ministry, and family ministry. As a mother of three children, she's familiar with the challenges of faith at home uh, and in pastoral ministry. She, along with her husband, Luke, share a love for the church, their community, in the global work of peace and restoration through Jesus. And I'll let you know that our staff uh, is um, going to be coached by Christina in the coming months. So would you give her a warm Grantham Church welcome this morning? Thank you so much for having me here this morning. I really enjoyed that slow me down worship song. I think. That is something that I need to hear. Also, I noticed it was written by Sandra McCracken, who is one of my favorite worship leaders. Um, it's always odd to me when I hear someone give an introduction, like David just did. I don't know if there are people out there. These mics have not loved me today. <laughs> um, there are people out there, young people, who have really, really big dreams that you don't think you're ever going to reach if you would have told me even 10 years ago that I would have the opportunity to be speaking here, that I would hold a master's degree and a doctorate, that I get to work with churches all over the globe and encourage them to make lifelong disciples, I, I just would not have believed you. I would not have thought that at my age I would start back to school after I'd had kids. It just didn't occur to me. This, I, I'm standing before you, especially for those who are just saying, I don't know that I can do anything more. I'm too far along in life. Don't limit God, man. He can do amazing things, and he can take a willing heart. I just, you were reading that, and I thought, oh my goodness, is he talking about me? That's not me, but it's not me. It's Jesus. I'm really excited to be here. I'm not going to rehash what he just said, um, but I am passionate about connecting generations at church and at home. And so with that passion, I come to you this morning very excited to be here and blessed to be here. And I'm going to tell you a little bit about myself. I love to cook. 
I love it. It is my escape from the real world. You want to slow me down? Stick me in a kitchen. Do you want me to just use a handheld? Okay. We're just going to switch to the handheld. This is my I bought this jacket just for today. <laughs> Didn't know I'd have to take it off in front of you. All right, let's try this again. So I do. I love to cook. It's one of my favorite things to do. It does slow me down. My family knows if mom's in the kitchen with her AirPods in, don't even walk in the kitchen. Like, don't breathe. She is in there doing her thing, and I promise whatever ends up happening at the end of that will be a good thing for everyone. Um, but I didn't just wake up one day and love cooking. This was something that I feel like was passed on to me by my grandmother. So my grandmother, when I was a child, we'd go to her house every week to eat. And I loved walking into the house. And she would immediately tell us what was on the menu. But it wasn't just, oh, we're having pot roast and mashed potatoes. It was... I made the pot roast just like you like it, and also there's fudge, and I did the ones without nuts for you, and it's in the back of the fridge, so nobody's going to know it's there but you, okay? That's your fudge. Or, Jim, I made your peppers and eggs. We're going to have them with dinner, but don't touch them yet. I made them just for you, but don't touch them. And she was teaching me that, like, through her cooking, she was saying, I love you to the family, right? Like, it was more than just a meal. It was her way of, of giving love. Um, I would love to pull up a chair next to her and watch her cook and listen to her explain why she was washing the lettuce and laying it out on paper towels to dry and why she would dump salt in her hand to measure it. Um, I'm sure there are some cooks here who get that. And when I began cooking for myself as I got older, I would call her on the phone and be like, Grandma, it doesn't taste like yours. What am I doing wrong? I remember one time she was making this... Uh, we call it gravy, but it's spaghetti sauce and meatballs that cook for a really long time. And she, I had to keep sticking something underneath to catch the ingredients before they went in so I could measure them so that one day I could make it because she would just be dumping stuff in. But as I grew older and she has since passed away, I have definitely recognized that she passed on a whole lot more to me than just cooking. That may have been what we were doing, but she passed on for me a passion to love others through food, <laughs> and a desire to serve others by creating a meal. She gave me a love for flavor and seasoning. Like, I love it. I just throw things in my mouth and let me taste it. I want to taste it. She offered me laughter and renewal as we were in that kitchen together as I was growing up. We talked there. We prayed there. She told me stories. And to this day, the kitchen is that safe place for me to slow down. As we read the scriptures this morning, as I've read the scriptures before, my grandma always comes to mind. Because maybe her pulpit was the stovetop, but she preached to me there a life of love and service and God-centeredness when she told me her stories. So I can't help but think of her when I read this verse. I'm going to read this portion of it again. I'm going to emphasize some words, see if you pick up on them. 
Great is the Lord, and most worthy of praise. His greatness no one can fathom. One generation commends your works to another. They tell of your mighty acts. They speak of your glorious splendor of your majesty, and I will meditate on your wonderful works. They tell of your power and awesome works. I will proclaim your great deeds. They celebrate your abundant goodness and joyfully sing of your righteousness. I just think that's such a beautiful picture. Do you hear the cadence that's happening there? They say this, and I do this. They speak of your great works, and I ponder on your majesty. There's this back and forth. They're doing this. They're bringing this, and I am treasuring it and responding appropriately. I think when the Bible talks about one generation to another, that's the cadence that's happening. They say this, and I get to learn this. And we see this all through Scripture, and I'm just going to give you a few examples of this. But one generation commending the works of God to another, telling of the goodness and the power of God in front of the next generation. We have places like Eli and Samuel, and conversely, Samuel to Eli. We see Timothy, specifically his mother, his grandmother, and then also Paul preaching and teaching and living out the gospel in front of them. Elijah and Elisha, another one of these back and forth. Naomi and Ruth, first Ruth to Naomi, then Naomi to Ruth. So beautiful. Moses and Joshua, Mordecai and Esther, Paul and Timothy, who I just mentioned. This passing on of the faith from one generation to another is a form of discipleship that I uh, call generational discipleship. It is the primary way that our faith has been passed down from one generation to another, from moms and dads and grandpas and pastors and teachers and all of you. That's right. Every single one of us are part of this legacy of faith, just like my grandmother when she was teaching me how to cook. Now, throughout history, this would not have been super... Noteworthy, you probably would have said, yes, of course, because we pass everything that way. We pass the family business on that way. How to farm, how to uh, work certain machines, how to do certain jobs. We pass everything one generation to another. But as time has gone on, society has, as a whole has gotten a lot more age segregated. So what do I mean by that word? It's simple. Age segregation is simply the separation of people based on their age. And to put it really simply, we tend to hang out with people who are roughly the same age and generation as us. And we tend to be taught not by those who have come before us in our family or in our community, but by experts in the field. And that's how we learn the skills that would have normally been passed down from one generation to another in a family. And this isn't entirely our fault. Society is rather set up that way. And uh, researchers have described four main areas where we see this happening. So for a minute, we're going to step into my <clears throat> doctoral part. And you're going to learn about these four things just so you have a way to think about the ages being separate and what that means. So the first place is institutionally. If you're thinking about a body, it's going to be the bones of the operation. It's the best way to say it. Who sits on our committees, our board, our decision-making groups? 
What curriculum are we using? What programs are being supported? What rules and procedures and ways of doing things do we have in place? These are like the skeleton upon which everything else gets built. And oftentimes, these spaces are limited by which generations can participate in those places or how generations can interact in those spaces. This isn't to pick or say it's wrong, it's just how it is, but a lot of Sunday school curriculums, in fact, most Sunday school curriculums, are set up very aged. So you'll have zero to three, three to six, elementary aged, middle school, high school, young adults and singles, young married, married with kids, empty nesters, the silvery seniors, whatever you want to call them. I, I told them this yesterday. I don't know why, but whenever it seems like there's a program or curriculum for seniors, they include some sort of glitter. I assume it has to do with hair, but the glittery grands and... <laughs> So those, those, that's an example of an institutional way that ages get separated out. But that's not the only way. The second area is the area of space and architecture. So how do we decorate our space? How do we use our space? How do we build our space? If you're thinking about this in terms of a body, it's going to be like the skin and the flesh, the part that's out there for everyone to see. And hopefully that gives you an idea. And here's a way that you can think about it. If you were to walk into a restaurant that had dim lighting, round tables with two to four chairs set up, a lit candle in the center of the table, quiet classical music playing, without one word being spoken, you know exactly what ages and what stage of life is expected and welcomed in that place. And if you were a parent walking in with a toddler, you would do this. Conversely, if you walked into somewhere and there was boisterous music playing and all the seats were red vinyl and they handed you a menu that was folded around a group of crayons and you were a young couple on a date, you would probably go. Because without saying a word, our space is telling us who is and who isn't welcome in that space. That's part of our separation by ages. I'm staying in Messiah Village right now. I stand out. It's obvious that I don't live there and that I am a guest. And that's just the way that space is set up, and it's very catered to the age that lives there, but doesn't have some of the things that I might need, if that makes sense. So that is, that is how our space, architecture, how we design our buildings and our homes has changed over the years. Homes used to be much more multi-generational. Now here's a little hint. We're going back there, because housing is too expensive. But instead of being multi-generational and having space for parents, we're having space for young families to come back and move in with mom and dad because they cannot afford to live on their own. So multi-generational housing is starting to be more of a thing, but it hasn't been for years. Single family homes, that was the, that was the move, that was the way we went. So we can also think about church buildings, and this is not to pick on your church building, but many church buildings today have different wings that are labeled or set apart for different ages, and everybody knows it, and who shows up there is based on where that is and what room is used by what Sunday school class. Um, I live in a part of the country in Kentucky where we still have a lot of little, tiny, rural churches that are just one room, 
and maybe a basement. So they don't have that option to have the different wings, and they're kind of forced by their size and their roles to all be in one space together all the time. But that used to be how it kind of was. Our buildings with many wings is a rather new development. Okay, I won't stay on that much longer. I think you get the idea. Next spot, technology and communication. If we're going to talk about the body, this is our senses, okay? How we take in information and how we put information out. Our ears, our nose, our mouth, all those ways of taking in and putting out information. This is really important because of social media. Whether we like it or not, it is an integrated part of our society and it is highly, highly segregated by age. Social media platforms are the, probably the best example. Gen Z kids, so think kids and teenagers, will mostly be found in spaces like TikTok, Instagram, Snapchat, and I can already see some of you virtually shaking your heads. Other generations, Gen X, me, 40 and 50, we're primarily on Twitter, Facebook, baby boomers are basically on Facebook. And that's fine. I'm not saying you have to go out and get on TikTok if you're older and young people have to be on Facebook. The way it's not fine is that we tend nowadays to get our communication about what's going on in the world first through social media. And I have a lot of people who will say to me, no, I read the articles. Where did you click on it? Because a lot of times what ends up happening is we go onto our social media, we see that something's happening, we either click that article or we go find an article about it. But what's important about that is different social media platforms are giving you different information. They all may be talking about the same topic, but the news sources that show up on that topic and the direction they point you in is very, very different. So when two people of different generations get in a room and try to have a discussion about the same topic, they have very different information they're bringing to the table with very different slants. And that perpetuates the separation of ages. So whether you love social media or hate social media, that's just an example of how technology and communication has, has exacerbated. And actually, I told them yesterday, and this is true, most of the studies that I've seen done on age segregation that I've read are on this area. Politics, technology, communication, that's, that's all in that, that arena. And then finally, and probably most importantly, relationships. Do you know that in America today, it is more likely that you will have a friend of another race or ethnicity then you will have a friend of someone who's from a different generation than yours, 10 years older or 10 years younger than you. That study has been done more than once, and I've seen it go as low as seven years of age on either side of what your age is. Multi-generational relationships used to be the normative practice. That's, used to, that's how a community lived. Everybody was kind of integrated. Everyone was around everyone all the time. That's how news got spread so quickly. Um, <laughs> not a good thing probably, but you had to be in relationships, necessity, you had to be in relationships with people who were older and younger than you. But time has changed and that is not how it is now. Many people live in a, what we call an echo chamber, but in a rather small group of people that are about the same age and life experience as them and that's who they kind of travel through life with. And they may know people of other generations, but they're not walking in community and relationship with people from other generations. Now that doesn't necessarily mean that's your experience. 
This, I'm talking broad terms. But the reality is that's how society is kind of set up, and we move more and more in these age-segregated, separated-from-each-other patterns. All of this has led to something called the generational gap. You'll hear it all the time on the news. The generational gap is the perceived differences of one generation to another regarding beliefs, politics, and values. And the important word here is perceived. I point that out because oftentimes when we actually sit and have a conversation with someone from another generation, we find out, oh, those perceptions are a little bit off. But our perceptions are very powerful things and they can often keep us from reaching across those spatial and relational barriers to connect with other generations. And we say things like, okay, boomer. Immediately, all the perceptions that go along with that come in, or boomers aren't off the hook. Kids these days, oh, these kids these days. I don't understand these kids these days. And you immediately put everybody in a generation into one place. Those are our perceptions. Immediately you got a picture in your head of what I meant. Or, this is another good one. Oh, she's such a Karen. I feel so bad for every Karen ever lived in this time period. I heard a new one the other day. Apparently a Debbie's a thing, and my mom's a Debbie, so. <laughs> like they complain too. Um, <laughs> so why is this so important that I would stand up here and talk to you about it on Sunday morning? What in the world would make me come and give you this like sociological, boring thing with these age segregated? Why would I talk about that? Because we have seen that very thing creep into our churches. Not that long ago, and some of you probably remember this, all ages gathered for worship and study together. Age Sunday schools weren't even started until the late 1800s, and when they got started, it was to teach poor people, poor children, who worked all week long because there were no child labor laws and could not go to school. It was to teach them how to read, and they happened to use the Bible. When we say Sunday school today, I'm sure that's not what you're thinking of, an outreach program to children who are in factories all day long, Monday through Saturday. But that's how Sunday school started. And then, even here in the United States, when Sunday schools were first beginning, everybody went together. You'd be hard-pressed to find an age Sunday school curriculum. The Sunday school curriculum was just for everyone. I'm not saying kids were thrilled about it, but they certainly showed up for Sunday school and for church with mom and dad. Because everyone was all together. Youth groups, as we know them, didn't even start in churches until the 1960s and 70s. They grew out of college uh, young adults meetings. And churches said, hey, that looks like it's working really well. Let's, let us try it. And they started doing young adults groups and youth groups. And then out of that, um, we grew into, in the 1980s, we saw a huge growth of age-specific ministry in the church. And we saw targeted ministries towards different age groups and pastors to oversee those areas specifically. And over time, our churches became age segregated. And you guys are making intentional work into becoming intergenerational and working across those lines. But many, many churches aren't. And it's hard because most of what's available for churches to use, for curriculum, for programming, for signage, is all by age. 
And so it takes a lot of work to say we're going to cross over those barriers and begin to build relationships. But that's why it's so important to talk about on a Sunday morning. Because if we look at the scripture we read earlier, we examine biblical examples of discipleship, we find one fundamental truth, and this is it. We have got to be around each other. We have to be. One generation cannot proclaim the great deeds of the Lord to another generation if only one generation is present. If only one generation is sitting in a room together every single Sunday and learning a great book of the Bible, they're going to miss the wisdom of the generations that surround them. And they will only have one understanding of who God is. And our God is so big. But they won't get to hear those stories. We are built for community and not just with people whose life experience mirrors ours. God has called us to be a community with all the saints, every generation, every tribe, every nation, and background. That's what we're called to in Scripture. So why do I think it's so important that a nine-year-old hangs out with a 90-year-old in church? Well, it's not so that they can laugh over the latest meme. That's not the goal here. And it's not so they can discuss medications and proper dosage. These are not the areas that we're going to be coming together. It's for a much more deeper reason than this. I try not to read my notes too much, but I like the way I wrote this, so I'm going to read it. It is so one generation can commend God's works to another and tell of his mighty acts. Like how God provided for the family back in 1940 when times were really tough and things looked bleak. Like how God helped with that test when nerves were at an all-time high. It's so they can speak of the glorious splendor of God's majesty and together meditate on his wonderful works. Like how God shows himself in a sunrise when the world comes alive and how God comforts us in thunderstorms and keeps us safe when we're scared. It's so they can tell of God's awesome works and proclaim his great deeds. Like their time there was that car accident and we walked away unharmed. Or that time when the bully at school was being mean but someone else stood up and defended us. It's so that together they can celebrate God's abundant goodness and joyfully sing of his righteousness as they stand together in church, as they pray together for miracles, and as they work together to serve others in need. It is so that one generation can proclaim to the next generation the goodness of the Lord. Sometimes I think we hear that verse and we think, well, God never parted the Dead Sea for me, and that's what was being passed on. No, God has been faithful to us throughout our lives. Every one of us, if I did it right now, sat down with you personally and said, tell me the story of Jesus in your life. You would tell me miracles. You would tell me comfort. You would tell me how he showed up in your grief. And we need to proclaim that from one generation to another. I have three children, one who is currently not following the Lord. And she says, Mom, it's not you, it's, a, it's me. And that's fine. But when she was graduating from high school, who did she invite to come to her graduation party? Quote, unquote, I want our church to come. Because these people have shared their lives with her, and she is indebted to them, and she knows it. And she calls them for advice, and she meets them for coffee. And if you can't tell me that's not Jesus showing up, and loving her through the body of Christ, one generation to another. 
That's what we need. That's why I get so passionate about it. It's not okay, like all the researchers will tell you, age segregation has dire consequences for all of us. In society, they show that it leads to loneliness, depression, isolation, increased suicide in older people, lack of socialization, lack of ability to accommodate in workplaces for young people. It ain't good. But here, the body of Christ, this is where disciples are made. It's our great commission from the Lord. Go and make disciples. It starts here. And we have to proclaim these things to one another. You see, the things that bind us together, the things of the Lord, they are not dependent on our generational experiences. They are dependent on Jesus Christ. And our faith is not passed by a program, a church service, a book that we read. It is passed in relationship with one another where we know each other's names and stories and we share the goodness of God with each other. And that cannot happen if we are not together. And pretty much everything is working so hard to keep us apart, which means as believers, we are going to have to work to find ways to come together. It means, and I told the leadership this yesterday, it means that when you consider your mission and vision and the things you plan to do as a church community and the surrounding community, you have to think intergenerationally. That has to be a lens you go through because it will not naturally happen. Naturally, we will stay apart from each other. It takes work to come together. And here's a simple little trick for everyone out there when you're planning your next little soiree or dinner gathering and you want to invite all the people that you know. Try to think three, three generations. One that represents the past, so they can tell the stories and the wisdom, and we can hear and learn of the faithfulness of God. Two, one that represents the present, so we can be honest about where we are and what's going on in our life and how God's showing up today. And three, one that represents the future. Where are we going and what does God have for us? What's the vision that we can speak to one another? So it's just really easy. There's your three. Every time you get together, you think of having a group together, think, do I have a way for three generations to interact with each other and share the goodness of the Lord? So how could that play out here specifically at Grantham? So I did some sloop snooping on your website, and I'm going to tell you what your website says. Your website says, at Grantham Church, we seek to foster and develop connections with God, the church, and the world. And you called this the triangle. So, here's how the triangle can be intergenerational. Remember, the things that bring us together are not the things that keep us apart. So it's not about programming, events, or activities. Although you can use those things. That's not what's going to bring us together. Jesus is what brings us together. So the first part of your triangle is loving God. I call that worship. I know some people refer to singing as worship. Like you have the worship time and we sing. But worship is adoring God. It's adoring Christ. It's putting our, our gaze on him and honoring him. And that can be done in a lot of ways. Like this morning, I love doing the responsive reading. Using those psalms together, that's worship, and it's beautiful. Um, singing is a way to worship. Worship is turning our attention to God in honor and praise, and that knows no generational bounds. In fact, that's where we started today, with one generation to another. And I want to point out, it doesn't say older generations to younger generations. 
it says one generation to another. We hear from one another. We need to listen to each other, and we need to listen to each other worship God. And that can be done through those stories and testimonies of God's faithfulness. I, I was telling uh, the group yesterday, I, I love this, they, were, they did this study where they took uh, a bunch of college students and they put them in a room with people in a nursing home and they had never met before and they paired them up and said, have a 45-minute conversation with each other. So these people who had never met sat down, introduced themselves, and had a 45-minute conversation. And afterwards, they interviewed the college students and they said, how was that? What was your conversation about? And they found, on average, in that 45-minute conversation, those college students walked away with four life lessons in 45 minutes. Friends, we're around each other. We should be around each other a whole lot more than 45 minutes. Could you imagine the faith we could pass on? That's worship. We can love God together in that way. The second part of your triangle is loving each other. I would say, what better way to express that love than praying for each other? I know that you have some people here that are uh, younger people that are connected to older people in prayer. There is so much that comes from intercessory prayer for one another. I had the opportunity to work at a church where we connected our younger people. We had 40 younger people connected to 78 older people of different generations. We made the kids pick three people between the ages of 18 and 30, 30 and 60, 60 plus. And these people committed to praying for the kids throughout the year and the kids committed to, and youth committed to praying for them. And they began to intercede for one another. On Christmas, the uh, only thing we did was remind them, hey, you should pray. On Monday, I sent an email to the prayer partner and said, go ahead and remember to pray. On Christmas, I came out and down the hallway was a line of people from the two older Sunday school classes. I had no idea what was happening. And a lady at the front named Melanie, every time a family would come into the service, she'd yell down, Susie and Johnny are here. And then a person would come out and give them a Christmas present. And it was the prayer partners. They had decided to get Christmas presents for their kids. But that wasn't the exciting part. Melanie was not the prayer partner of all these kids. And she didn't work in children's ministry. And she didn't even attend the same service as these kids did. So how in the world did she know them? So I asked her, I was like, Melanie, how do you know these kids? And she said, oh, a group of us ladies, we get together every week. We put all of our bookmarks that has the kids' information in a pile. And then we pray together for all of the kids. I did not know that was happening. But I'll tell you when the fruit really bore. In February of that year, we had a three-year-old little girl who died in a tragic accident from our church. I was a children's pastor. The family asked me to step in and be the liaison with the church and the family. I brought all the meals in, set up the hotel rooms, took care of getting the funeral arrangements. And in my heart, I was thinking, man, all those kids in my children's ministry, I can't get to them. I can't hold them. I can't walk with them because I'm committed to being here with this family. On the day of the funeral, I walked in the building, feeling very heavy, as you can imagine. And I started to look around the room. And in pockets and corners, out in hallways, in vestibules, I saw kids with their prayer partners. <laughs> Crying, being comforted, praying together, being hugged. And I, I knew the Lord told me, you don't have to hold them. I got them. 
through the body of Christ. And that those kids did not know those people prior to having this intercessory prayer. And now they were in the most important space in their life at that moment, helping the parents, helping those kids. And I couldn't have organized that. That's the power of prayer. When you begin praying for someone else, you become invested in their heart and life and you care about them. And prayer knows no generational bounds. Finally, the world, loving others who are not yet a part of the body of Christ, serving them as Christ has served us. Service is another area that doesn't rely on age. Anyone can serve. We can gather around mission and we can serve no matter what our age. Your church's mission says it's focused on reaching the hurting and bringing them to the healing love of Jesus. That mission is not age-bound. There are hurting people who need the healing love of Jesus at every single age, and every single age can reach out and do that. You might have to get creative. You might have to think, how can we involve all the ages here? But serving others is not limited by age because it's something that we've been commissioned to do by Jesus. I am convinced, after studying a lot and reading a lot of really boring research articles, I am convinced that the church is the place where age segregation can not only be overridden, it is the place where it must be overridden if the church is to continue. Our faith does not accidentally get passed on by way of a good book or a great worship song. Our faith is passed from one generation to another. It's passed in relational community. Studies show that young adults who remain in the church once they're grown, they don't come back because they like the pastor. Sorry, David. Or the youth pastor or the children's pastor. They don't come back because of the building or the book that they studied or the curriculum that they used. That is not why young people return to church. They return to church for the people who knew their name and had relationship with them and wrote them when they were in college and sent them cookies and asked them questions and prayed for them. They come back for the body of Christ. That is why we need to make disciples through intergenerational relationships. That is why we need to not only connect and build relationships, but disciple one another. I wrote here that they, they come back for the people who saw them every Sunday and loved them every week, who persevered in relationships and love. I'm convinced that if we want to see Psalm 145, which we read this morning, be a reality in our churches, if we really want our church family to grow, if we are really passionate about younger generations staying faithful to Jesus, we are going to have to find ways to come together more often over time. Like, it's just going to have to increase that we are working to build these kinds of relationships. We've got to be the church across generations. And that might mean that things look different than they have in the recent past, <laughs> but God is so good. He is faithful to do this work. I am so convinced of this that I spend most of my spare time writing, coaching, consulting, calling, doing anything that I can do to convince congregations and Christians to reach across the generational line, to invite somebody to dinner, to tell your story, to get creative, to be really, really different than what's going on in the rest of the world. You want to be against the tide. It's not going to come in how you dress and the music you listen to. You want to look different 
have a best friend or a good friend who's not, doesn't look like you, who's not from the same generation as you, who doesn't think the way you think, who says things that baffles you and confuses you and you just don't get, and hang out with them as much as you can and talk about Jesus together. I truly believe that this is, this is the way that we are going to answer the call to make disciples of all nations starting right here. I would invite you to take some time this week, go back and read Psalm 145, especially that first part, and think, when's the last time I proclaimed the great deeds of the Lord to someone so they could ponder it in their heart? Take some time to write down how Jesus has been faithful to you and you want to share it with someone else. And then find somebody to share it with. Invite them to coffee. Go for a walk. It's been so beautiful. If you're not going for walks, you're wasting these days. And then build a relationship around the thing that brings us all together, Jesus Christ. Thank you.